Thanks, Keith, worship team, for leading us. Um, It's a fitting song as we continue in our series in the book of Hebrews this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 14 through 16. Uh, The author of Hebrews began talking about Jesus as our great high priest at the end of chapter 2. And then he takes a couple chapters off from that theme. And then he returns to it here in verse 14 of chapter 4, and that is where we will be picking up this morning. So go ahead and open your Bibles with me as I read 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, we find ourselves to be people who are in need of mercy and grace. And so as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would graciously allow us to see its truth. That by the power of your spirit, you would help us to see what is here and what it tells us about the glory of your son and what he has done for us. That we might entrust ourselves to him more. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We only entrust ourselves to people who we believe are worthy to be trusted. We only entrust ourselves to people in relationship. We only entrust ourselves to people who we believe are trustworthy. This is the way that all of our relationships function. How do we decide whether we're going to invest in a new relationship or whether we're going to uh, entrust ourselves more to somebody in a current relationship? Well, we go through a process of determining the worthiness of that person and whether we can trust them with ourselves. Can we entrust ourselves to this person? We go through a process of determining if they are worthy to be trusted. Now, the process looks different for everyone in determining that, but we all go through that process. And it's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Christ works the exact same way. We will only entrust ourselves to Him to the degree to which we believe He is trustworthy, that He is worthy of our trust. And each of us are in different places this morning in a relationship with Jesus. There's some people here who do not believe in Jesus. That is to say that you have never entrusted yourself to him at all. 
because you have not seen him to be worthy of your trust. And there are others who you have entrusted yourself to him, but yet there are still areas in your life that you have not given to him, that you have not seen him to be worthy of having, right? I don't want to give this to you, God, because we don't see him as worthy of those things in our lives. And the process of growing in sanctification and becoming more like Jesus as a Christian is simply the process of learning how worthy he is to be trusted. And as we learn how worthy he is to be trusted, we then entrust ourselves to him. Now what we have been seeing throughout this series and what we will continue to see this morning is that Jesus is better. Said another way, he is infinitely more worthy of us, of our lives, of our hearts, than anything else we give ourselves to. And so as we approach the text this morning, our aim will be to see how worthy Jesus is as our high priest that we might entrust ourselves to him more fully. Now our author begins by showing us that Jesus is a worthy confession, and we see this in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The confession being referenced here is Jesus, that you're confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. He is urging his audience, he is urging us to hold fast to Jesus. And he tells us to hold fast to Jesus based on two things, based on what Jesus has done and based on who he is. First, let's look at Jesus being a worthy confession based on what he has done. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. This is what the text says Jesus has done. He has passed through the heavens. And this passing through the heavens, I believe, refers to Jesus' ascension and his intercession for his people at the right hand of God the Father. You see, the work of Jesus did not end for his people at his resurrection, but it continues on even today until he ushers every single one of his people into glory. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us even as I speak now. You see, this is what makes faith in Jesus such a worthy confession. He has done and continues to do for us what no one else could do. Now, all of this talk of of Jesus being a high priest has its background in the Old Testament. And the high priest in the Old Testament could only enter into what was called the Holy of Holies in the temple One time a year. Nobody else ever got to enter that space where it is said that the presence of God dwelled. The high priest was the only one who was able to enter that one time a year. Common people like you and I never had the ability to enter that space. But Jesus, because of his death, resurrection, and ascension, 
ushers God's people into his presence. And perhaps more specifically, he ushers the presence of God into us. Upon faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? The presence of God dwelling in us. Having done this, Jesus intercedes for us as we walk out our Christian lives. The author here is showing us that Jesus is worthy of our entrusting ourselves to him, of our confessing him as Lord and Savior because of what he has done. But not only this, he continues on to show us Jesus' worthiness to be our confession based on who he is. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. What has he done? He has passed through the heavens. Who is he? Jesus, the Son of God. And here our author combines the humanity and divinity of Christ to elevate his glory before us, to show us his worthiness to be our confession. Jesus of Nazareth is uh, the the part that would identify with Jesus' human nature. Jesus, the Son of God, would be his divine nature. And our author here is holding that these two have come together perfectly in a single person. Consider here the glory of Christ's humanity and divinity in the words of the Puritan Stephen Charnock. He says about the human and divine natures coming together in Christ, what a wonder it is that two natures infinitely distant should be more intimately united than anything in the world. That the same person should have both a glory and a grief, an infinite joy in the deity and an unexpressible sorrow in the humanity. That a God upon a throne should be an infant in a cradle, the thundering creator, a weeping babe, and a suffering man. A God of unmixed blessedness is linked personally with a man of perpetual sorrows. Eternal blessedness with a cursed nature. Almightiness and weakness. Omniscience and ignorance. Immutability and changeableness. That which cannot be comprehended and that which can be comprehended. That which is entirely independent and that which is totally dependent. The creator forming all things and the creature made met together in a personal union. This is what our author is hoping that we see. This is the glory of Jesus, that the nature of man and God are inseparably united together in a single person. Now it is on the basis of what Jesus has done and who he is that our author urges us to hold fast our confession of him. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. To hold fast means to grip to something so strongly so as to not allow it to slip through your hands. Our author is telling us to cling to Jesus. Why is he urging us to cling to Christ? He is urging us to do so because our sin so easily blinds us from his glory, leading us to loosen our grip on him and begin to embrace things that are unworthy. That's our continual temptation that we begin to loosen our grip on Christ and embrace things that are unworthy of our lives. Unworthy of living our lives for. Brothers and sisters, what are you clinging to today? What is the one thing that your heart most longs for? What is the one thing that influences your life more than anything else. Perhaps it's your occupation, your job, your career. This is the thing you most long for, the thing you most desire, the thing that influences your life more than anything else. Perhaps it's your reputation, your personal image and maintaining that. Perhaps it's a hobby, something that you enjoy doing. Or maybe it's something else that gives you a sense of personal happiness. What is that one thing? Perhaps it's a relationship. Perhaps the thing that you most long for this morning or that most influences your life is your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Or perhaps it's your spouse or your children or your parents. What I want you to do for a moment is to ask yourself those questions. Get that thing fixed in your mind. What is the one thing that your heart most longs for? And now what I want you to do with that thing fixed firmly in your mind is I want you to hold next to it Jesus, who He is and what He has done. And looking at the two of them, I want you to ask yourself this question. Which one is more worthy of your life? Which one is a more worthy confession? There's a lot of different things that we can confess, but Scripture has made it clear that the confession of Christ as Lord and Savior is an all-consuming confession. That is that it demands all of us. Brothers and sisters, if Christ is not the thing you most desire, then you have loosened your grip on him. And you have embraced something that is unworthy of your life. You have allowed your sin to harden your heart to the glory of Christ. And you see, what our author is doing is he is setting the glory of Christ and his worthiness before us. 
that we might once again lay hold of him and him alone. Jesus is a worthy confession because of what he has done and because of who he is. Not only is he a worthy confession, though, but as the text continues, we see that he is also a worthy comforter. And we see this in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our author begins here to show us Jesus' worthiness to be our comforter with an astounding statement. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, having just seen the exalted picture of Jesus in verse 14, our temptation is to think that he is unassociated with the temptations, struggles, and burdens that we bear. But our author is quick to correct this thought by showing us the glory of Christ as one who is intimately connected with our weakness. Isn't this amazing? The second person of the Trinity took on flesh so that he might be able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Now the text not only tells us that Jesus is able to sympathize with us, but how he is able to do so. Jesus is able to sympathize with us because he shares with us a common experience. We are told that he is a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every temptation that Jesus faced, he never disobeyed his father, but he still felt the weight and the burden of the temptations and trials that he faced. And it is in this that he shares in our experience. Jesus, the exalted Son of God, lived a life of weakness so that he could be a sympathetic Savior for his people. Pastor Richard Phillips puts it this way. He says, The Lord you serve, the Savior to whom you look, is not aloof from your trials, but feels them with intimate acquaintance. He is not disinterested or cold to what you are going through. He came to this earth and took up our human nature precisely so that he might now be able to have a fellow feeling with us. Do you see in this the beauty of your Savior and the immense comfort that this should be to your soul? Do you ever feel like the burdens and cares of this life are near to crushing you? Do you feel as though your strained family relationships have beaten you down? Do you feel as though the weight of losing your loved one is too much to bear? Do you feel as though the temptations that you walk through and that you fight will overcome and overpower you? If you are here this morning and your soul is weary, Allow your soul to find refreshment by drinking in this truth. 
that in all of your temptations, in all of your burdens, with all of the weight that you bear, Jesus sees you. He intimately knows your sorrow. And he calls you to come to him, to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Why do we so desperately need this truth? We so desperately need this truth because we so often neglect it. Men, how do you deal with pressures that you face at work? How do you cope with the responsibility that you have in your home and perhaps the way in which you fail your family? Do you seek freedom from these pressures by coming home and treating your wife and children harshly? Do you come home and use your children as a punching bag to release that pressure that you feel? Perhaps you seek relief from your situation at the bottom of a bottle, just wishing to ignore the pressure and the expectation that is on your shoulders. Or maybe you seek to find comfort in the arms of a woman on a computer screen. Ladies, how do you cope with broken relationships? How do you deal with your feelings of inadequacy as a wife and as a mother? And perhaps your failure in that realm? Do you seek relief from the brokenness by gossiping to your friends? Do you seek comfort from your failures at the bottom of an ice cream container? And we chuckle at that, but is that not often our reality? I'm not a woman, but, you know, there's a lot of times when I get home and uh, a Butterfinger Flurry from Gurn sounds amazing just to decompress, right? But you see, what we so often do is we take these things And we entrust ourselves to them. We entrust ourselves to the bottom of a beer bottle. We entrust ourselves to a woman on a computer screen. We entrust ourselves to our friends in gossiping. We entrust ourselves to the bottom of an ice cream container. All the while we have this glorious Savior who took on flesh so that we might entrust ourselves to him in those moments. And he is so willing to embrace us. And you see, what we do when we neglect to seek Christ in these moments and instead seek these other things is we say that he's not worthy say that these things are more worthy of our hearts than Jesus is. Has the glory of this verse come to light yet? It is telling us that Jesus is better. That he is infinitely more worthy of our hearts to find comfort in than anything else. Jesus is more worthy of the burdens our hearts bear than anyone or anything else. 
because he has shared in our sorrows that he might be a comforter to us. Jesus is our worthy confession, which we must cling to, and he is also a worthy comforter whom we must confide in. And now we come to see that he is also a worthy helper for his people. And we see this in verse 16. Before we read it, I want you to understand these three verses are building on each other to a climax. And we've come now to it in verse 16. Because Jesus is our great high priest who has passed through the heavens, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for his people, because of who he is, Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, because he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our author concludes this section of encouragement by showing us where we must go to find help in our struggles and temptations. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let's consider for a moment the glory of this throne. Indulge me, if you will, in just closing your eyes. And as I read this portion of Revelation 4, I want you to try to picture what the text is saying. At once, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before, their thro before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. All the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Does this image of the throne of God not strike you as being very distant 
Does it not reveal God to be unapproachable? If the God who is said to be holy, holy, holy rules from this throne, what hope do we as weak and sinful people have to find help at his throne? This is where the gospel shines in all of its glory. Because Jesus came in flesh that he might sympathize with us and since he has now entered heaven where he intercedes for us, we can with confidence come to this throne. For those who are in Christ, the throne of God is no longer a judgment seat to be hidden from, but a throne of grace to be boldly sought. Not only are we told here that we can approach the throne of God with confidence, we are also told what we will receive when we approach him. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Since the throne that has been described here that we are to approach boldly is called a throne of grace, it follows that when we approach this throne, grace is what we will find there. This passage gives us a picture of grace enthroned in heaven. And what we must understand is this, that it is only because of the work of Christ that God's throne has become a throne of grace for us. Jesus is worthy to be sought for help because he has made it possible to find grace at the throne of God. And the reason that we can find mercy and grace at the throne of God is because Christ is seated there, interceding for us. Jesus is so worthy to be sought for help. And since he is worthy to be sought for help, how do we go about seeking him? How do we enter this glorious throne room? The answer to this question is very simple. Christ has given a key to every Christian to this throne room where they can seek the throne of grace. The key that he has given to every Christian is prayer. Prayer is the key that unlocks the throne room of God where we seek his mercy and grace. Because of what Jesus has done, we have unlimited access to the throne room of God. Just let that sink in for a moment. Every time we pray, which we can do whenever we want, we enter into heaven where God is seated and we are promised that when we come, what we will find is grace. The spiritual action of speaking to God brings us into his throne room. 
we have unlimited access to the throne of God, yet how often do we exercise the access that we have? Most often when temptations and trials come, we do not seek help at all. We believe that we are strong enough. We believe that we can handle it, that we don't need Jesus. Now, we don't outrightly say this, but our neglect of prayer tells us that that's what we believe. We have this feeling of self-sufficiency that runs deeply through our veins. Indeed, it is something that we are born with. A couple months ago, I was talking to my son, Ezra, about his disobedience, and I looked him in the eye and I said, son, you have to ask Jesus for help to change your heart. And he looked me in the eye and he said, dad, why can't I change my own heart? I know where he gets that. He gets that from his dad. I gave that to him. This pride lives in all of us and leads us to forfeit entering the throne room of God. It leads us to forfeit prayer. You see, ultimately, our lack of prayer shows that we don't believe Jesus to be a worthy helper for us. When we forfeit prayer, we are not entrusting ourselves to Jesus. We're entrusting ourselves to us. Jesus is a worthy confession that must be clung to. He is a worthy comforter that we must confide in. And he is a worthy helper that we must seek for help. We only entrust ourselves to people who we believe are worthy to be trusted. Have you seen Jesus this morning to be worthy of your life? To be a worthy confession? To be the one thing that steers and directs your life? The one thing that your heart most longs for? Have you seen him to be worthy Of your heart? Have you seen him to be a worthy comforter for you? Have you seen him to be a worthy helper? The word has shown us this morning how much more worthy Jesus is of our hearts and of our lives than any of the things we so often replace him with. And I would urge you this morning. Wherever you find yourself, if you seek to entrust yourself to him for the first time, or if you seek to entrust yourself to him in an area where you have previously not, do not leave here this morning without doing so. Father, we thank you for showing us the worthiness of Jesus to have all of us. Take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory.
Lord, we need help to see Jesus as worthy, more worthy than the things that we cling to, more worthy than the things that we replace him with. And it is only by the power of your spirit that can make us see him as worthy. And so come, Holy Spirit, help us to see where we need to entrust ourselves to him and give us the power and the strength to do it. I ask this all in the name of Jesus, our worthy high priest. Amen.